From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. And then as far as a game changer, I think we're in it. Um, I think the, 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 the coronavirus pandemic has changed so much uh, in terms of the way we think about healthcare, the way we deliver healthcare, um, and 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 it's going to you know it's it's it, I think a lot of that is is positive if there's a silver lining, um, and it certainly incre- you know brought the discussion uh, to the forefront. Welcome back to season seven of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. This season, we're going to mix it up a little by going to a bi-weekly format and sharing our space with a new show from Miami Law, the Leadership Game Plan hosted by former Chicago Bears coach and Miami Law sports law expert Mark Tressman. Problems with access to health care throughout the United States have been brought into sharper focus by the pandemic. Dr. Timothy Loftus, Miami Law's Health Disparities Project Fredman Family Foundation practitioner in residence, and two of his student fellows, Kristen Dagger and Lauren Jones, join us to examine the roadblocks and the solutions to equal access to all. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome and thanks for joining us for the first uh, show of the season. Um, another one out of the studio with uh, dog barking and air blowers, but welcome. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, Timothy, let's start with you. Um, you've been a medical doctor since 2006, first on the front lines of emergency care in New York City, and then more recently on the policy side of the Florida Health Justice Project, among many other places. What are the most significant obstacles that you see to universal access to healthcare? There's this buzzword that's coming up in public health literature. Um, and and public health research around social determinants of health. I guess it's not a buzzword, but rather a buzz phrase. And we are seeing that you know the 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 host of factors that influence health around environmental uh, issues, uh, transportation, housing, food security, crime. Uh, you know, really drive health outcomes a, a lot more. I mean, it makes intuitive sense. But the increasing body of data now showing us really how much it drives it. And I think this is shifting us away from health being a personal choice and and driven by our DNA and, you know, what we eat and how we take care of ourselves. And also just simply an access issue that people just need to be able to get to the doctor or, or, or whatnot. So I think we're, we're, we're seeing that and, and it's really uh, I, I think gonna gonna shift the way the way we go forward. Okay, um, how much does access to Medicare Medicaid factor in? Yeah, so it's interesting you ask it like that. So first of all, Medicare is available to everyone once they hit the the, the set age, um, and and is is actually you know it's it's pretty good. But I do I do want to say that, you know, without some of the supplements that you're able to purchase or that maybe, uh, you know, that people have available to them, um, it, 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 it lacks in certain areas, but it does at least get people, you know, sort of primary care, covers hospitalization. Medicaid, on the other hand, is for the poor. And um, as we know, the Affordable Care Act or so-called Obamacare 
uh, you know, expanded that for for states who who decided to do so. And um, there are holdouts, including here in Florida, and um, the the data that have the data that have come out, and and this is data both on improved health care outcomes and also for uh, you know e economic. Uh, impact uh, is, is overwhelmingly compelling at this point, and and the 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 states who have not adopted it, um, it's increasingly I don't want to speak in absolutes really, but almost impossible uh, to to defend at this point, uh, uh, whatever the argument is. So it, it becomes a, a political. Uh, hot potato sort of thing, and and uh, and that's unfortunate because it, it meant to, to, to the short answer to your question is it makes a big difference on an, on a whole host of levels, keeping people out of the emergency rooms, getting people primary care, getting them their prescription drugs, and 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 on and on, and it turns out that saves money long term. Um, let's let's bring it a little a little closer to home here. I know you've received a grant and are also connected with the Miller School of Medicine, Sylvester Cancer Center, and ongoing projects in Miami's historical Black West Grove neighborhood. How did you get involved, and how did you pull together so many entities? So getting involved, uh, I, I had been involved with the Florida Health Justice Project, and that was a great opportunity. Um, Miriam Harmons and Allison Yeager run a run a run a, run a great operation, great shop. Uh, over there, and um, uh, that that I I actually found through through um, an opportunity here at the the law school, and and it, it just it, it it sounded right up my alley, so to speak, and and um, and, and I'm really fortunate to have uh, spent a year um, uh, working along with them, and then the the more recent so that was opportunity, as a student, correct? That was as a student, and then the opportunity to uh, really sort of uh, be on the ground floor of this new project here at the law school uh, all started with an email to Professor Tony Alfieri uh, asking him what he was up to for the coming summer. That was a year ago. That was spring of 2020, um, and and as we all know, the pandemic had just hit. And um, the Center for Ethics and Public Service uh, community partners had expressed an interest in in seeking the law school's help. And we knew we couldn't do it alone. So we, we reached out to folks over at Miller and they were eager to to work with us and were, were fortunate for that. And um, and then on to the the second part of your question. Um, there are days where it certainly feels like herding cats, uh, but uh, we, you know, I think I think we benefit from the fact that we, we have a lot of folks, and you know, as, as maybe this sounds a little sappy or lame, but uh, whose hearts are in the right place and 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 want to want to work on these things. And, um, you know, when you get a bunch of people together who who believe in the cause, it does make things a little bit easier. Uh, so, Lauren, could you talk a little about what you've discovered so far working uh, in Miami-Dade on, on this project? Sure. So I think I think the thing that we've discovered is honestly, unfortunately, kind of what we were expecting, which is that there are huge health disparities in Miami-Dade. And I think um, Miami is an interesting situation also because of the minority population 
in Miami as compared to other cities. And um, I think we've also seen that the pandemic um, has exacerbated a lot of the barriers and issues that have been going on for a very long time in this in the county. Um, and and I uh, another thing I think is that we it's not just um, it it spans different areas. So mental health, um, as you mentioned earlier, elder health. Um, Florida has I think the second highest percentage of individuals 65 and older. Um, and so that's, that's another group that has a lot of disparities. Um, is also maternal health. There are just a lot of issues going on. So I think that's the main thing we've discovered. Um, and we've also found that, um, different healthcare entities aren't really living up to their promises as far as what they're supposed to offer and how they're supposed to help these communities that are that are suffering and that need access to healthcare. Can you talk a little about um, how this opportunity to, to work, was this something you thought you'd be doing in law school? Was like this kind of hands-on experience uh, or was that kind of the reason you came to Miami Law was because you did have access to those kinds of experiences? So I, my, my situations, I think maybe a little unconventional. So, um, I actually did receive a master's in public health. So public health has always been one of my main interests. And, um, so coming to law school was a decision I made later in life because I just realized all of these, these disparities, these issues, and I wanted to make more of a concrete difference and a change that I couldn't do with in my current situation. So, um, so I did honestly picture myself doing something along these lines, but I think this opportunity has been great because I've seen a different side of the field of law and, um, from more of an advocacy point of view. And I, I didn't realize that that was even an option when I started. So that's been really great to see how policy reform works, how social justice advocacy works. Um, that's been really awesome. So Kristen, can you talk a little about the work that you've been doing in the community and like what has surprised you uh, about that? Yeah, so most of the work that we've been doing um, has been just a lot of legal research as it crosses over with um, health aspects and interdisciplinary stuff. And it's all kind of up and coming because health law really hasn't been, It's there's not as much structure in health laws there are in other areas of law. Regarding the work in the community, um, it's been a real pleasure and a surprise to see how much the community has been leading this entire initiative. I mean, they really are guiding us, and um, it's been wonderful to have as much involvement on their end and have their time, um, because without them, we would not have anything to go off of or research or anyone to even work with. Hmm. Has the work you've been doing uh, with the clinic changed at all your life career trajectory? It has. Yes. Um, I was actually doing one orientation yesterday on a panel and I told the students twice. I said I applied for this position last minute and it has completely changed the tra trajectory of what I believe I'm going to do after law school. So apply for things, you know, you think you might want to do. Um, but it's made me really rethink the academic side of law, whereas before I thought maybe I'd probably just go work for a firm. Uh -huh. Great. Um, so, Timothy, it sounds like there's a lot of work. There's much work uh, left to be done. What's what in your mind is the most attainable local solution we might see see coming out of this? And 
what would be the national shift that that would really be a game changer? So, you know, this is a million dollar question. When when do we start to see results? And I I, I think you know, uh, and 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 not to intentionally set the bar low. I, I I actually and as you know, Kristen and Lauren could attest, keep the bar actually probably pretty high. But the the first thing that we can do is we are sitting not just our project, but the university and and and, and, and other entities, uh, large volumes of data that we believe would be useful to the community, um, and and so sharing it with them in a presentable way, and then having a conversation with them about about it, we 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 hope and 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 I think they hope too provides them some uh, increased amount of ownership or agency over the direction that n- not just this project uh, uh, takes, but the, the direction of their, their, their health and, and their health care. And, um, and so I, you know, I, 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 you know, we, we hope, we hope that, um, that that sets a, a beginning. Um, and, and then, you know, we, we have, ambitious ambitious plans um uh but and then as far as a game changer i i i think we're in it um i think the 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 coronavirus pandemic has changed so much uh in terms of the way we think about healthcare, the way we deliver healthcare, um and 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 it's going to you know it's it's it i i think a lot of that is is positive if there's a silver lining um, and it certainly, incre- you know, brought the discussion uh, to the forefront. And um, you know, there, there, it, it, it's even helpful. I know uh, th- this, this would, you know, may sound a little crazy as I say it, but the conversation around vaccines and and everything from hesitancy to the conspiratorial thinking, um, this is helpful. And it turns out uh, researchers, again, here, one of, one of our collaborators and his colleagues have done amazing work at looking at, um, at looking at these issues around the vaccine. And, it, you know, it, I, I think it's, it's been made such a political uh, uh, discussion. Uh, but if we look at it, it actually breaks down really well by zip code and some of the zip codes that are most deeply affected by misinformation and, and, the, and this and, and, the, and, and so on um, are, are minority, uh, you know, uh, zip codes, uh, uh, high concentrations of, of black and Latinos. And 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 so this is this is a problem for everyone. It's not uh, it's not a red blue uh, uh, issue. I know part of your position uh, involves Sylvester and the Miller School of Medicine. How is that? Uh, as has that connection shaped your thinking? So the, the I, I do have responsibilities to the Miller School and to Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center. Uh, I'll start with Sylvester because uh, uh, it, it's easiest. Um, it, it does mean that uh, some of our work is going to be cancer centric. Uh, if that's if that that, that could be a word um, or, or a term, um, and but but it's it's great. Cancer uh, the the cancer center brings along with it uh, a robust set of resources um, around everything from you know screenings to uh, to their research arms, and and so it it it, it that that collaboration is is 
really welcome. And it turns out, you know, that, that, you know, this should not surprise anyone that um, there are in, in our target communities increased incidences of a, a host and a number of, of cancers. And then the responsibility to, to Miller is to their uh, the MD and MPH program, and that uh, is is educational responsibilities. And so uh, part of the responsibility both here at the law school and over at Miller is uh, health, public health law, health justice, curriculum development. And to, to me personally, uh, that is uh, incredibly exciting. And um, I guess lectured over there in the spring. And, um, and as I know, Lauren and Kristen are evidence of, there is student interest in this area and that's really exciting. Great. Well, thanks everyone for taking the time to join us and for all the work that you do. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer for a whole new season of interpreting legal issues in the headlines. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by We Robot, now in its 10th year. For more information about the interdisciplinary conference on the legal and policy questions relating to robots, visit WeRobot2021.com.